I pray that your Holy Spirit will be moving, leading, guiding, um, the, everything about today. In your name I pray. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, you guys may be seated. <clears throat> if you've been uh, following along in our reading plan, you know that we've been in Jonah for the last uh, couple weeks, and uh, I know it, it's been kind of uh, challenging me a little bit. It's been kind of, uh, as I read um, Jonah a little more in depth than what I have in the past, um, probably have come across more questions than answers at times in this, in this book. But um, let us go to Jonah chapter 4, and I'm just going to go ahead and read that, and then um, we, will, we will get into the text here and look at, at the life of Jonah. So let me go ahead and read, starting in chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I had said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and bounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city where he had made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry with the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Let's pray one more time. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here to help us understand your word. And I pray today as, uh, as we talk about your word that your Holy Spirit will be leading us, guiding us, lead me, um, speak through me. In your name I pray, amen. Well, you know, as, as I was reading this text, it's like, it's very interesting, isn't it? Um, here Jonah is yelling at God and uh, is pretty upset with him. And uh, as I was reading that, I was like, well, you know what? Um, there's a lot of questions that I have about us, and, uh, but I, I think we need to go back to the beginning of the chapter and just kind of review what has happened so far. And so I'm not going to go ahead and read any of this, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of give us an overview. So we have Jonah. Here's from the Lord. He's a prophet, for, for, <laughs> he's a prophet of God, and he hears from the Lord, and the Lord says, I want you to go to this city, and I want you to proclaim what's right and wrong in this city. Because this city is not doing what is right. And so what does Jonah do? 
he actually, God tells him to go this way. And yet Jonah runs <laughs> this way, right? He actually boards a ship and leaves. You know, and, and, and so this is, this is my question this week as I was trying to process this. Why did Jonah just not listen to God and stay where he was at? Anybody, anybody ask that question? <laughs> I asked my wife that question. I asked the elders that question. I asked a couple of the guys I had Bible studies this week with. I was like, why in the world? It just bugged me. It just bugged me. Why in the world would Jonah just not stay where he was at and be complacent and, and, and stay at his house where he may be comfortable, right? But no, he, he actually goes out of his way in open rebellion against God. What's interesting is my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. She like pulled up a diction, dictionary definition of rebellion, and, and rebellion is actually an active act. So Jonah doesn't just disobey God. He actively acts out against God, what God is telling him to do. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy to see that Jonah actively rebels against God. And, and later here in chapter 4, which we're going to get into, we see why he does it. He actually explains to God why he does it. But you know, as we see in this book of Jonah, it's, it's really interesting because we see God's sovereignty at play, right? We see God providing a fish, you know, making a storm happen, providing a vine, providing a, a worm to take away that vine. And all of this, God's sovereignty is working out. But in his sovereignty, there's choices being made by, by us as humans, right? Um, we see Jonah actively making a choice to go against what God wants him to do. And that's kind of unexpected, right? I mean, a lot of times we think, you know, like if you look at the Old Testament, we see prophets and they do exactly what God wants them to do. But here, Jonah actively acts out against God. Unexpected. Very unexpected. What's another unexpected choice that we see? We see a bunch of pagan fishermen. We see a bunch of pagan fishermen. As a storm rages, they listen to Jonah, they throw Jonah overboard. And what do they do? They offer sacrifices and vows to God, who they didn't know. They had no idea who God was. They're pagan. And yet, they knew there's a higher power there that controlled everything. And they offered sacrifices to him. Something totally unexpected, because they were pagan. And then we see Nineveh. After Jonah finally relenting and saying, okay, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. You, you, I'm going to do what you want me to do. The, in the belly of the fish, right? And the fish actually vomits him out, spews him out onto dry land. Jonah goes and does what God wants him to do. And as he preaches to Nineveh, and obviously we, we see that there's, it's, a, it's a city of 120,000 people, pretty large. 
Jonah preaches to them, and they turn from their wicked ways. Kind of unexpected, right? Because if we look at anything that history tells us about this, the Assyrian, they're part of the Assyrians, they're wicked. They're wicked. And they've actually been raiding against Israel, raiding against God's people. They're enemies of God's people, and they've done horrendous things to God's people. And yet, they hear the words in Jonah, and they, they turn, at least for a time. They turn from their wicked ways. And all of these things, really, are kind of unexpected, aren't they? Unexpected choices that these people that we would expect to make opposite choices of are making. And so as, you know, as I was reading the book and I was like, man, processing this and what am I going to talk about today, we see all this playing played out. And as, as we come into Jonah chapter 4, you would think that Jonah's like, man, you know, they're, they're, they're actually turning from their evil ways. I, I, would, I would think that you would feel pretty good about that, but instead, instead, he gets very angry. And I had to ask myself, why is he so angry? Why is he angry even at God? And I, I think there's, there's a couple things at play here. A couple things at play here that, that we can fall into these traps. I, I know I have in, in the past. But I, I think for Jonah, he doesn't really have an a understanding of who God truly is here and how God works. And, 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 and so we see two things at play here in, in, in this story. And that is, one is justice, that God is a just, holy God, and he demands justice. And in fact, a lot of times... Admit it or not, we all demand justice. We do. We want, we want to see justice, even though maybe our justice at times is, is tainted because of our sinful nature. But we want to see justice prevail. There's something in us that demands that. We, we also see God's awesome mercy at play here. And, and so justice, I, I, it, it's, it's really interesting, like I said earlier, every single one of us, at some point, some level, demands some sort of justice. My wife and I, a long time ago, like this is like when we were first married, and we've been married for a while, um, we were coming home from Worcester on 83, and I don't know if anybody's traveled 83 or not, but it's kind of curvy at spots, and just about the county line, and the weather was actually kind of terrible it was foggy it was rainy it was kind of just a I think it was a fall day uh, turning into kind of winter and it just it was it was terrible weather as we were coming home and all of a sudden we had and I think we were following another vehicle we had a a vehicle that was just boom on our butt and and it was it, their lights were hitting our mirrors right and everything and they were just honestly just on our tail on our tail the whole way through the curves and the hills and everything else and they followed us for quite a while and we passed the county line into Holmes County and 
like I said, there was a couple cars in front of us, and it was a no-passing zone. And there was an oncoming car coming towards us in the opposite lane. And this car decides to <clears throat> pass us. And I remember we actually like slowed down and almost got on the berm because we thought there was going to be a head-on accident. And I was like, in my, inside me, like, this is not right. What made it all better was the oncoming car was a state patrolman. <laughs> and the lights went on immediately. And we were like, yes, justice, right? And by your reaction, every single one of you probably are feeling that right now. You're like, that is exactly what he deserves, right? There's something within us that demands justice. When something's not fair, when someone breaks the rules, there's something in us that says, man, justice needs to happen. The problem happens <laughs> when there is, when we feel like justice doesn't happen, that we need to take justice in our own hands, right? Um, I love westerns. I love westerns. And a classic scene in the westerns is where maybe there's a bad guy. And the sheriff takes him into custody, right? And maybe he's, the, you know, got the town. You know, he's, he's rich and he's, he's bought the town off. And he, you know that if he goes to the judge, he's probably going to get off. And all of a sudden, the town decides, you know what, we're going to take it into our own hands. And all of a sudden, they pitchforks and the, and the torches get all wounded up. And they go to the jail and they demand the sheriff, give us that prisoner. Because we're going to go and take justice in our own hands. We're going to go hang him. And in the classic scene is where the sheriff comes out. And he, the sheriff is not a friend of his, right? The sheriff knows that he's, he's the bad guy. And it would be really easy for him to let his neighbors, friends even maybe some family members, take this guy and let them deal with it, right? If he just goes and takes a coffee break. But what does he do? He grabs a scatter gun, a shotgun, and he goes out and he holds off the hordes and he says, no, not on my watch, because this isn't justice. This becomes revenge. And there's a huge difference there. We have to let justice play out. The problem is, I think, here in Jonah, Jonah wants to take things into his own hands. He doesn't trust God with, with justice in this, for whatever reason. I mean, and like I said before, the Assyrians had been doing raids on his own home country. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, a family member was killed by the, the Assyrians, Maybe his, you know, it doesn't mention anything about a wife, but maybe a wife, or maybe kids, maybe, maybe a mom or dad. Maybe, just maybe, there was a reason that Jonah was so fired up that he didn't even want to go and proclaim right or wrong to them. In fact, you know, with open rebellion, sin, you deserve death. Maybe 
maybe part of Jonah's thinking, because he didn't know a fish was going to swallow him, maybe he thought it would be better for him to die than to actually share about God's word to the Ninevites. And once again, I am just trying to figure out why Jonah did what he did. I honestly, I, I, you know, as I was reading about Jonah, I was like, man, he's just a jerk. He's just a crusty jerk. But sometimes we don't always understand why you get that crusty without really thinking through what has happened to him. But regardless, something has happened to Jonah to make him feel this way towards the Ninevites. To actually get to the point where he's going to do open rebellion and sin against God. Something caused him in his own heart for that to happen. And a lot of times, and we can see all kinds of movements, you know, even within the church, there is a big social justice movement right now in the church. And in a lot of ways, I think we are <clears throat> taking away the trust that we have in God and putting in ourselves, thinking that we can be the judge, right? That we can be the, the mass people with the pork, the, the, the torches and the porch fit, uh, porch fits, uh, uh, and, and trying to come after, after whatever we see that is unjust, right? The big question here, though, is who should be more offended by sin? God or Jonah? Who should be more offended by sin? God or us? And a lot of times we take sin very personal, especially when it's directed at us. When we are wronged, right? But we don't see the big picture that our sin actually offends God. That our sin, no matter how little we look at it as, which is actually open rebellion, right? That's really what sin is. We are just as guilty of God telling us to go this way, we go this way. That's what sin is. And because of our sin, my sin, I deserve punishment. I deserve the wrath of God. I may not think of it that way, right? Especially, you know, when we are thinking about what has happened to our lives. Maybe someone's offended us in some way. Maybe somebody's done something very horrific to us. And we have a very hard time forgiving that person. I, I just want to take a pause right here <clears throat> because, honestly, if you've been a victim, if you've been somehow victimized, especially in your childhood or, or you know, of some kind of abuse especially, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry against that offense. But, but you cannot stay angry. Somewhere along the line, you have to work through that anger. And I believe this is where Jonah did not ever work through his anger. It became bitterness 
And ultimately, bitterness leads us to sin against God. And, and guys, if you, if you have, I mean, we've, honestly, as, as elders, we have seen where people have come to us and said, man, this has happened in our past, or this has happened to us. And it, it, it breaks my heart to see what has happened to people and how, how that has affected their lives. But guys, there is, there is freedom through Jesus, freedom through forgiveness, and, and able to forgive someone that maybe has hurt you. And I'm not saying that comes easy. I'm not saying that that will, will come natural. But through the power of Jesus Christ, it can happen. And it actually releases you from whatever has happened to you in the past. And so, guys, I, I just want to uh, implore on you guys. Who, if, if there's someone here today that maybe has been hurt or maybe has had something happen to them, to please, uh, after the service, talk to one of us as elders or talk to somebody. But please, don't, don't just cover it up and act like it's all fine and dandy and, and still having that bitterness in you. You need to work through that bitterness. You need to work through that anger, even if it is righteous anger. Anger in itself is not wrong. It's not a sin. But what you do with that anger is, it may become a sin. And so I would just implore on you to, to think about processing through that. As we, as we look, as we go forward here, and we see that God actually pours out his mercy on Nineveh for a time at least. And, you know, obviously that was not right. Did not sit well with Jonah, right? He becomes very bitter about it. And he just says, you know, I just want to die. I just want to die. I don't want to see this happen. It, 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 it's, it's really interesting to me because who deserves more mercy in this story? <clears throat> Jonah or the Ninevites? As we see that in, in the end of it here, God, God speaks about the Ninevites. He says, you know, there's 120,000 of them and they cannot tell their right hands from their left. That's why he sent Jonah so that they could hear from him. But yet Jonah knew better, right? Jonah knew better. And yet, God continued to pour out mercy on Jonah's life. So who, who deserved more mercy here? I mean, who, who got more mercy, I guess I should ask? I, I would say that Jonah did. One of the takeaways that, uh, that I, was, I was really thinking about <clears throat> is, my goodness, um, there's some parallels here to my own life, except the fact that, unlike Jonah, Jesus came willingly. Willingly to abolish and take care of my sin. That's amazing, because Jesus did not have to come, you know, and yet he chose to come, unlike, unlike Jonah. He willingly came with a message 
and willingly came to pour his life out for me and for you. Um, I just want to go to Romans, Romans chapter 5, if you uh, have your Bibles or your phones, if you go there. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, I'm going to start in verse 6, and um, this is the gospel in a nutshell, guys. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's awesome. That's awesome. Think about this. We are God's enemies because of our sin, because of our rebellion. Just like the Ninevites were enemies of Jonah. And yet, what happens? God doesn't pour his wrath out, which we deserve, which we, we obviously we deserve. Yet, God's perfect justice and mercy come together on the cross where Jesus being perfect not having any sin ever becomes separated from God the Father because of my sin the total wrath of God the total punishment that I deserve is poured out on Jesus because of his love for me and his love for you. The punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, is poured out on the cross. And because of that, we are now reconciled to God. We can now come before him when we put our trust in Jesus And call him our father. Truly call him our father. We are adopted into his family because of what Jesus has done. This is phenomenal. Growing up in the church, I've heard this stuff. But if, until we comes to, we personalize it. And understanding that we are truly God's enemies without Jesus. That God should be pouring his wrath pouring his full punishment on us. But yet Jesus, being completely innocent, took that on himself because of his love for us. Justice is completely poured out on the cross. 
See, mercy, mercy is not getting what we deserve. I deserve God's punishment. And yet, because of Jesus, I have mercy. It's amazing. Worship team, you can come on up. So the big question, what does this mean for our lives if we have put our trust in Jesus? Well, like I said earlier, we become part of his family. Um, we are now, and I want to go to 2 Corinthians to explain this a little more. We actually now represent Jesus. We actually, just as, as Jonah carried the message from God, each and every one of us carries the message of the cross in our own lives, which is awesome. You think about it, why would God trust a schmuck like me? I don't know, but it's, it's amazing that he would, that he, he wants to actually use me in this world to carry his message of reconciliation. Uh, just a couple verses here in, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in, in verse 4 through 6. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, in the same, same book, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, since through God's mercy, the mercy that he's poured out on me from the cross, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin. For us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All those verses are awesome. I, I've been sitting down with a guy on uh, Thursday mornings, and we've just been reading through the Bible, and we've actually landed here in 2 Corinthians, and we were talking about this this week. You know, and, and the fact is that God actually works through us. This is amazing, guys. This is amazing stuff. That God actually has a message of reconciliation. Every single one of us that calls, has called on the name of Jesus, that have put our trust in Jesus, every single one of us has a ministry. Did you guys know that? You don't have to be an occupational ministry. And what's interesting is no matter where God takes you, that ministry is being played out. Um, a lot of you know that I um, had been a chaplain 
at some of our local nursing homes. Well, with COVID and everything else going on, I'm no longer there. I'm no longer there. Um, but I am working at a gun shop. <laughs> and you know what's amazing? Almost a daily basis, I, have some, I, I come across somebody that I get to share the gospel with. I get to share love of Jesus with them. It's so cool. And, you know, the fact is that we do not have to be a chaplain at a nursing home to share Jesus in our daily lives. Where you are, be at work, be at school, whatever you're doing, God has this message of reconciliation to the world through us. And it's the power of God working through us. It's not me. And as I was sharing this with the, the, the I call him a kid because he's a lot younger than me. Um, and he's like, well, you know, I, I got Bibles in my vehicle. I'm just waiting. And he goes, I just never seem to, eh. And I said, when was the last time you prayed that God would just open an opportunity up that you'll be able to share that Bible with somebody? And he just like, he just like, it was almost like it was revolutionary to him. But yeah, the pressure is not on me to perform for God. God's power is actually working through us. It's just letting God do what God does through me. It sounds kind of simple, but it's actually kind of hard because I like to control things. You know, we, we see in Jonah where we see God's heart, that he is compassionate, that he loves people, that he is concerned for this, this city of 120,000 people that were, didn't know him. It doesn't mean that he lets sin slide. It doesn't mean that there isn't a standard. It doesn't mean that we don't call wrong, wrong, and right, right. At the same time, his compassion, his mercy is there, and he wants the world to know about it. If you put your trust in Jesus, just encourage you to think along those lines that you are actually a minister. You're actually a missionary no matter where you go in this life. Because if, you, if, if someone's here that hasn't put their trust in Jesus, I would implore you. And it's nothing magical. It's not, not, a, not a formulated prayer. It's just basically coming to the, the place where I know that I can't save myself. That, that this sin that I have can't be dealt with on my own. But Jesus can do it. And so trusting in what he's done for us on the cross. Trusting that he has it all. It's really what it comes down to. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you for who you are and your mercy that we don't deserve, that, that you have just poured it out on the cross. I thank you so much that you actually trust us to use us to carry your, your message of reconciliation. It's amazing. Once again, we love you.
We trust you. We thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.